Welcome everybody to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today we're in the Moto IQ Slip Angle Studios here in Gardena, California. I'm joined by Mike Kojima, as always. What's up, Mike? Hey, what's up? Not too much. And uh, we've also got uh, Martin Gonzalez. What's up, Martin? Hola. How y'all doing? Good, man. You guys uh, on that pre-SEMA crunch right now, huh? Absolutely, man. And it's uh, trying to come up for a little bit of air. Even this is taking time. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry sorry for doing. stealing it, but when your boss says you got to be on a show, I guess you got to be on a show, yeah, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and Martin gets to sit on the Moto IQ casting couch. Yeah. Well... We will talk about this some other time. <laughs> <laughs> so what's new uh, around Moto IQ right now, Martin? Let's see. Uh, just in the recent couple of weeks, man, I mean, uh, a lot of things going on for, for example, CSF Evo 10. We are doing a lot of the track, I guess the track prep for that car. It's going from being a car show type show car that had a lot of race um, inspired. That's Hashtag exactly, track inspired. Exactly. It was very track inspired. Ah. It looked the part, it, but... Ultimately, in order to be a competitive time attack car, it needed a lot more work. So the last few months, actually, we've been working hard between us here at Moto IQ, the CSF team, and also Brian over at After Hours Automotive to not only develop the aero package for the car, but also start developing the suspension. So KW Suspensions come along. They're going to help us with some three-way clip sport shocks for that. So Mike can go actually, out there. Actually, they're the motorsport shocks. And the motorsport shocks. Um, you sure? Yeah, those aren't club sports. Those are the motorsport shots. Oh, well, then Robbie's going to be stoked about that because according to the bill that we got, it was club sports. So. Oh, okay. He should be a Hopefully lot Hopefully the KW County <laughs> Department won't be listening to this and score. So, again, three-way club sports, really trying to make the car be clean and play the part. Motorsports, sorry. Motorsports. <laughs> There's a big difference. Motorsports. Yes. Um, and then uh, going to the dyno, working through some headaches through that. But ultimately, the goal will be to get that car competitive at Super Lab Battle. Also, even in the in our engine room, we were working on some engine projects, namely uh, an LS3 engine for one of our competitors from our Drift League okay. uh, competition. So we got an LS3 going for one of those gentlemen that was running a VQ, having issues with the 350Z continuously with a supercharged VQ. And... Now stepping up to an LS3, having um, our garage and specifically Howard, our main tech here, um, he's been in charge of running Dai's engine program, at least building the engines for that program the last few years. And with the success of that, we figure we kind of have a pretty good formula of knowing how to build the LS or what parts we need, what processes we need to put it through in order to be able to survive through the rigors of motorsport. Okay. Um, so we just actually delivered that engine today. For nice. those of you, you can follow us on Instagram and check out all those updates. Um, let's see what else. Oh, and even for the owner of CSF, we're working on his uh, daily. He's got a DC5 RSX. Oh, really? And we're building a hybrid K24 engine for that. Engine is being dropped in right now. And once that's done, then a VQ37 VHR that we're also working on for a customer that accidentally decided to ventilate the block. Oh, um, but it's going to come back better than ever, and there'll be some really good content from Moto IQ through there. We got partners from JWT um, and Z1 Motorsports are really coming in with a lot of parts and a lot of their tricks, especially Jim Wolf. Uh, Clark over there pretty much has those engines down packed running the, the Grand Dam program that they run over there with Nissan. So mm -hmm. they know exactly what the secret sauce is, and they've been willing to share that with us. And so this should be pretty exciting stuff. So. As you can see, a lot of stuff going on in the garage um, that not only leads to content for Moto IQ, but also 
leads us to actually running this place like a shop. So if there are any of you potential motorsport heads that are in the local SoCal area, or even if you want to ship us your stuff, we'd be happy to work on it. But do know that the stuff we do here is a lot slightly higher level. We don't want to get into being a Jiffy Lube or I'm trying to just swap cams in. It's mostly what we're doing here is race car prep. Can you install, can you install underglow on my Honda? For the right price, I guess we can, but I think there will be other places that will probably get you a better price on that. And that's really kind of what we're trying to do, you know, just kind of be more of a boutique for the really serious motorsports guy that really understands and appreciates, really, the details of anybody can slap an engine together or slap suspension on cars. It's it's the small details of how to do the proper setup, what how to install things properly. Right. Um, and that's really where the magic happens and what we at least like to think that we do very well here. Does every car get a plaque that Mike actually signs? <laughs> no plaques yet, but we do, <laughs> it have, should. We do have a shrag <laughs> here, so all the cars that we here do get some free plates and yeah. stickers and whatnot. And nice. Yeah, so. And also the cool thing about it, if you end up do if you do end up having work done here, there's a good chance it's gonna end up on the website right. or on one of our videos in one way or another. Okay. So. So yeah. easy way to become uh, Insta famous, huh? Exactly, man. And then ask for sponsorships. Nice. <laughs> Especially nice. not being Seaman time. That's what it's all about, are there, right? Are there any platforms that you guys are actively looking for to, uh, to work on? Not necessarily, man. Not, not Anything and everything? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah, your basic stuff, you know, K-engines, SRs, LSs. That kind of stuff, yeah. VQs all day. Yeah. Because Howard has a lot of experience with VQs, so superchargers or NA stuff, he's, he's the man of the VQ. Does, right. it, does it have to pass Mike's, uh, Mike's rigorous sound test, though? We are on the way over here from our last show, and there was one that drove by, and Mike was like, oh, that one doesn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's ultimately up to the customers, too, and his exhaust choices. But. I guess so the stuff, like, we'd like to get into more Porsche work, yeah. and... Um, we're starting to actually do that, so um, I, I I think that's something that we're really interested in. You guys had that 987 Cayman that you guys have been working on recently, right? Yeah, and we have big plans for that car. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, my goal is to be faster than that, uh, the factory GT4 race car. The new the new 718 GT4? Or yeah. The okay. And then... Um, I want to be able to pull equivalent lap times to that. I think we might be a little short in the engine department because, you know, they're claiming uh, 425 out of that. Mm -hmm. But I, I at least want to beat a uh, street GT4 on the track with it, and I think that's easily obtainable, I think. Okay. We'll see. Have you guys taken that car out to the track yet to test? No, we're not finished building okay. it yet. Like okay. we got a, we have a whole bunch of engine stuff, and then we have this whole uh, aero system from Ferris Engineering that we're going to put on. Then, then it's going to start be testing and track tuning and stuff. But we've got big plans for that car because uh, you know it has a PDK and um, like the GT4 has like kind of bad transmission ratios, and that's kind of the Achilles heel of that car. And I think the PDK is going to give um, give our, our project car a big advantage over the gt4 yeah i mean we were talking earlier in a, a previous episode about the the pdk transmissions and they're they're pretty freaking good man they really are totally i mean I, I totally hear the argument of you know you can't shift any faster than a pdk but i guess as a purist but then it, that, that's actually that is an argument we actually have here at the office every once in a while i'm sure everybody every motorsport has had it of if you're buying your own car do you buy a pdk or do you buy a manual and 
as a motorsport head, I want to say I want to buy a manual. But then again, at the same time, because I am a motorsport head, I want the fastest lap time, and I'm gonna be able to achieve that. And you live in LA too, man. Like, yeah. And do F1 cars have manual transmissions? I do think that once you're in the realm of buying a PDK equipped vehicle, though, you probably that's probably not your only car. You know, and you probably have other things. But it could be. It could be. Like, I would love nothing more than to have, like, a Carrera 4S and, like, live in Chicago and drive it around in the winter on winter tires and, like, <laughs> just go everywhere with it. Put a roof yeah. box on it. Like, just be that guy. Because back in the day, like, people were doing that with, like, 356s and, like, early 911s back in the 70s and 60s. Like, those were their only cars, and you could make it work. And you drive that car. Yeah. yeah. And if they can make it work then, why can't we make it work now with cooled seats and, and everything, you know? That's true. Good point. So I guess it just in the in, in the spirit of trying to keep your expensive investment pristine is why you don't want to drive it. But other than that, it's a car. You don't approach of, it as an you, investment. You buy a Macan for that. Now, now, <laughs> now this would be a good conversation to have with Mike because Mike is the king of buying things and not driving them. So if anyone can give us the argument of why you buy expensive cars and never put any miles on them, it would be him. So. But you don't, buy them, you don't buy them as investments, though, do you? <laughs> Like that's not your number one thing. Is you oh, go, the I'm going to buy this. Kind of an investment. Yeah, I still don't think it exists. I've only seen it in pictures. The purple thing? <laughs> yeah. It <is. laughs> yeah, it hasn't been here for a while. No, you kicked you kicked it out of your garage. You kicked the G. No, you kicked the GTR out of your garage for the Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. Mike just oh, needs more time. Shame. If Mike had more time, he could actually enjoy his cars. First world problems. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think any of us could give you a list of projects that are here that aren't that. So, so for those that are listening, Martin, most of them probably don't know who you are. Oh. What's what's your background? My background? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, Start at the beginning. Where were you conceived? Cars? No, I'm just when, kidding. <laughs> it was a lonely day back in Lima, Peru, I believe, and my parents were drunk one night. And <laughs> So let's see. Uh, my background. I got into cars... Immediately as I got into as first as soon as I had my first car and started tinkering with things. The first thing I bought was a Haynes manual, I went to Pep Boys. A year into me owning my first ninety two Sentra, which was a one point six Sentra with a four speed, which was a piece of shit. But I kept reading about this SCR thing and I'm like, ooh, what's this SCR? I want one. So for my twenty first birthday in nineteen ninety nine, bought my four door SEL, which is basically a four door Sentra with an SR twenty. Met these dudes, Mike and the rest of the SCR Club of America crew. At a, what was it? Was that Budweiser Park? It's a park by the Budweiser station. Anyways, I met the dudes. Yeah, in the valley. I currently at the moment had my upgrades were Pia fog lamps and my 12-inch subs that I had in the trunk and a full-on system, and I thought it was the coolest thing on earth. And at least they're Pias. Yeah, <laughs> they were Pias. And I met these guys, went to my first track day, and then everything changed from there. Um System came out of the car. Everything was about going fast. And my 99 Sentra daily driver became more than I wanted to daily drive. So then I bought a 92 Sentra SCR that I kept reading about, that same one from my same body style. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be my daily. And then turned that into a pretty hopped up streetcar, too. And yeah, and that's kind of where it all went. And then one day, my buddy, my other SCR buddy and I, Steve, uh, came up on his crash G20, which is a 92 G20 P10, and built that into a full-on race car and started doing wheel-to-wheel. -wheel. So all of my background, really, with, like, deep enthusiast stuff is with SR20 front-wheel drive cars. Okay. Um, and then 
Mike and Jeff had already started Moto IQ, but before it launched, because of my job, I kind of happened to be in the Torrance area and started meeting up with these guys. And before you knew it, um, I quit my job and kind of came into this and went full head. And, and basically that was in 2009. And now 10 years later, here we are still doing the same thing and trying to keep the doors open and trying to Man, 10 fight years the good now. fight. 10 yeah, years it's now. It's been a long time. <laughs> so so Martin basically runs this place. Uh, he's super organized. That's his best skill. Uh, he he's the one that kind of like is the glue that holds everything together. I I, I guess oh, is the thanks, thing. Man. Like um, so he's like Tesla's special special tool is glue, right? So or, it holds all Teslas together. Or, or with <laughs> me, special sauce. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm kind of like the mad scientist guy, and I'm not very practical. So. I kind of need Martin to keep me grounded, I guess. And then uh, Martin's the opposite. Like, he, he's good at uh, keeping a complicated ship together. But he's dumb as a rock, is what you're saying. No, that's... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's my best asset. No, it's, a, it's, it it's, it's, it's a really important <laughs> skill set. Martin, see, like, I could probably fall off a cliff and nobody would notice, but if Martin was was something to happen to him, this place would go to shit real quick. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, I think, same with Jeff, he's not the most organized guy either, so Martin is the super complimentary guy, and I don't even know, I mean, Martin's my business partner, but I don't even know what to call him. I mean, he's, I guess, a VP, but he's like the GM or uh, or the guy that knows everything. I, I don't know. I'm the air traffic control tower. <laughs> I just I try to keep things from crashing into each other and getting to the right places at the right time. Aren't the air traffic control guys the most stressed out, though? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like a duck, though. I'm nice and cool on the top. Of, under the water, man, I am losing it. Losing it sometimes. <laughs> and he's always in the bad mood. Oh, I am he's not. usually in a good mood when I see him. <laughs> I am not always in a bad mood. He's in his best behavior for guests. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that is true. I guess the rest of the crew here will tell you otherwise, maybe. It's kind of like my mom, right? Like, growing up, like, when you're home and there's no guests around, she's, like, super hard-ass, but then the moment guests show up, she's, like, oh, the yeah, sweetest person ever. Yeah. Oh, can I make, yeah. you some, make you some cookies? Yeah. <laughs> then you get home, Mom, I'm hungry. Make your own yeah. damn dinner. You know where the microwave is. <laughs> no. But thanks, Mike. Yeah, so I, I guess kind of in the background I do a lot around here, but... What are, you, what are your personal day? vehicles that you have at the moment? Okay. I still have all the cars I've actually mostly ever owned. Oh, you Mike. never sold them? Except for the first first car, the one six. And the only reason that got sold is because I crashed it. Oh really? So, was, uh, <laughs> then I, so I have my '92 Sentra, my B13 SCR, my '99, which is the first new car I ever bought and the only new car I've ever bought, and mm -hmm. I still have that. Um, then what else? Oh, my '92 Infiniti G20, which is the race car. Mm -hmm. Then my daily driver, which is a 94 Toyota Corolla with a 1.6. I came back to the 1.6 life in one way or another. Yep. And that, that's, that's literally the, the hauler. I put the most miles on that thing. And with the automatic, you, by the way. With the automatic, which is the only automatic it's I have. It's not even a PDK, bro. No, man. This thing is <laughs> awesome, though, dude. I get 32 miles to the gallon. It's super cold AC. Wait, 32 is good now? 
That's really good for a car guy. He got it for free. What? It's a free car. For free? Ex girlfriend's car, and she basically said, "All right, well, you've been nice enough to this thing where I don't, I don't want it." And I'm like, "I'll take it." I'm taking the dog. You get the car. I put my rota. I put my rotas on it from back in the day. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry. That's totally against Moto IQ, but they're real rotas, though. I swear, bro. Yeah. Um, (laughs) They really are. They really are. I guess. Yeah, they got. I think I. That was the first set of wheels I ever bought when I was. 22 wheeldude.com so yeah like that's 18 years ago dang so, yeah dang. the roll on circuit eights and then my baby that i barely put miles on it except on the weekends is the e39 m5 i have and nice that's the i guess one of the only non-nissan cars i've actually ever bought and that's probably one of the best investments i ever made dude yeah. i picked that thing up for like 12 grand and it's shit grinning fun all the time i mean yeah and it's worth some money now it's wor- it's going. They've up gone up ridiculously. Yeah. Yes, and I, I heard that the new M5 is going to be even uglier than the previous generation. Oh so yeah, is it, it is me. it? Yeah, is it? Does it have that new BMW the, styling? And that's super like tall. Like the two buck teeth. Grill. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Thank it you, has BMW. An automatic transmission. Pro- yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a dual clutch though. No, they. It's not. It's, it's the ZF8 it, speed that they've been using and everything. Yeah, because the dual clutch can't. It um, doesn't have enough torque capacity huh. for the motor. Man, that's a sad day. Oh, I don't know. Automatics are getting pretty bitching nowadays, yeah. too. Yeah, I suppose that's true. That that ZF 8-speed is pretty decent. But yeah, I mean, the 8-speed the in the Lexus of your wife's is pretty awesome, just because the torque is instantaneous all the time. Yeah, it has that clutch that locks out the torque converter, yeah. too. It feels good. Actually, it feels really good, dude. Those IS, ISFs are actually really fun, man. They're solid cars, so man. So Willem, Willem Dries, who has like a bunch of Honda stuff, he actually got one. Like he won one in a raffle, and he's been tracking the crap out of it, and he absolutely loves it. And he, like with just like tires and brake pads and the rear Tracking stripped out. Tracking an ISF? Yeah, he, he did like a 156 of Button Willow on the thing. No, really? this was just to yeah. take it out because he owns it, or that's like his dedicated track No, car? like it's his daily driver, and then he was like, I wonder what this thing will do at the track, and oh, now okay. he's been pouring a bunch of money into it, and it actually works really well. <laughs> he's like, I want to keep going Yeah, well, I mean, this. he got it for like $100 oh. because it was one of those like raffles. Where, oh, like, you put $100 right, right, right. in, and the guy sells, like, a 1,000 tickets or whatever. And you that- know what? We are going to KW the other day. We hit the bump on the freeway. On the way back? Yeah. Yeah? That actually bent a Volk wheel. What? No. I swear to God. No that's, way. That's fake rotas, man. I'm telling you. It, it bent the wheel. What? It bent the wheel? We didn't have any shaky shakies or anything. Uh, I know. I mean, it didn't seem like it was. It was hard, but not that hard. It was probably one of maybe a little curb rash action. No, the wheel actually, with no curb rash, and you can kind of see like a rubber mark from where the tire hit really hard. Wow! I, I think that hole was bigger than we thought, and the suspension soaked it up better. This may be a very very bad uh, line for those wheels. No, it just it goes to show how strong they are because they could have cracked. Oh, and they kept air. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah. kept their air. They could have Never mind. See, it also see shows how good that suspension is too. Yeah, yeah, the KW suspension soaked it up, and we bent the wheel. It didn't even seem that bad. <laughs> and we made it home from where's it, Clovis? Yeah, Clovis, Clovis? Central Valley. Like Central Valley. Yeah, a, yeah, it was a long road trip. We it, took a road trip. Was to there go. power up there when you were up there? Yes, yes, it was all before right. all that stuff. Okay. We, we missed it. We missed it. So we got we got out just in time. What's going on with the people with the Teslas up there? They're stuck. 
Right? So, I mean, that means you're pretty effed, right? Like, well, I mean, pretty much anybody with any car, because without electricity, gas pumps can't run. Or like, so you're touche. Or like, screwed regardless. Yeah. But I think like Ian over there, he would die, because in the middle of the night, his CPAP machine would quit, and <laughs> that'd be the end of him. No AC. No AC would probably be the worst thing. What are you talking about? It wasn't that hot up there. Was it? Well, well, I mean, it's. I guess if we're talking about up there, sorry, yeah. I, was, I was in SoCal weather. Oh, Granted, well, it's not that dude, much I worse anyway. I, I have no AC at my house. Well, and then while we're making fun of Ian, he likes to be cold. We like to all actually be pretty dang cold in general. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I like to me. have very low electricity bills, so no, that's what I like to have. But, word, word. Yeah. So now you've come out to a couple track days. Obviously, I, in, oh, your, in your infinity, you had uh, something that went wrong Let's not up, remember at, our, up at Laguna Seca this year. Infamous now Laguna Seca day, yes. <laughs> if you go to the YouTube channel, you can see all about our debacle there. And you can yeah. read the comments where everybody's making fun of them. I really <laughs> did not think that my car was that effing loud. And by the way, I still stand to this day to say that some of those fucking cars that were out on track that day were louder than my race car. Well, it depends and on how it makes the noise, like where it makes the noise and I how what way wavelength that noise is on this is my this is my theory obviously completely this is not a fact but you know how like right when you come on track there's the lady there that's telling you to you can mm -hmm. go on or not well the first time that i went out on track i was a jerk about it because as soon as she said go i'm like yeah you know fucking and i'm sure the first thing you do at that point is like tells the person up there keep an eye on this guy because it's probably if I would have done what I should have done, which is come out slowly. Just been a good boy. Been a good boy until after I passed the hill where the mic is. I may have gone away with a thing or two, but I think I just got flagged for being a total jerk when I came off, when I came, went on onto the track. <laughs> I got too excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in Laguna Seca. I've been driving for hours. Over foot. Yeah, so that sucks. So where we were going with that is that I took a road trip from Los Angeles to San Francisco basically to not drive at all. I got the car off the trailer and got black flagged immediately and I tried to go back out there again, got black flagged again and no track day for me. But I did drive back home and went to Buttonwilla so that was cool. Yeah, yeah still got still got way. some track time. It's on the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, took a little detour. Salvaged it. Went to Monterey, had some food out there. Yeah. Um, you guys yeah. had a nice nice date night, you and Vince, right? Yes, me yeah. and Vince, yeah. We yeah. just hung out and <laughs> told stories. Looked at the stars. And, yes, it was beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful out there. That was part of your plan all along, wasn't <laughs> yes, it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Vince is, what if old is Vince? I like him young. <laughs> just all right, we'll, we'll back, backtrack out of that one, man, real, real quick. Uh, okay. yeah. So, with that all said, if you want any work done on your vehicle that you've seen on our videos or articles, please send us an email. You can just go to the website, homepage, top of the page, MoDoc Garage link, and send us an email. We all get it, but more than likely, I'll be the one answering to you. Um, and yeah, man, we're in Torrance, or not Torrance, I'm sorry, we're in Carson, Gard California. Is this Carson or is this Gardena? Gardena? Our address is Gardena, but not many people know where Gardena is. More people it's know where it Carson is. It sounds cooler. Is. Gardena sounds cooler? Yeah. All right. Well, to cool. me, I don't know. Sounds I thought, fancier. I thought, I thought Carson sounded just more industrial. and. I don't uh, know. I don't know. Uh, anyways. 
<laughs> oh, by the way, I was at Irwindale Speedway this weekend, and I saw that they're recording the new Fast and Furious movie out there. Oh, really? And it was actually kind of cool, because you know how Dom's dad supposedly dies in a circle track race? Yeah. So it was they there? had the whole track rebranded under the name of that really? track. So so is like, are they starting to go kind of like Star Wars did, where like they film the end first, and then they start filming I the beginning? I think they may do that, because now what do you have left? You know, Are they going to follow each individual person's storyline? It'd be interesting. I do know they did where they were definitely filming that scene where Dom's dad died. Huh. So it'll be interesting to see where like, that goes. Like little kid Mia is going to be there. Like, oh, because they, they knew kids? each other since they were little kids. That's right. Well, weren't, aren't they brother and sister? Oh, wait, I thought you were talking about <laughs> Aren't Dom and Mia brother and sister? <laughs> I, guess she should, I guess she would be there from day one. I was, I was thinking when you said Mia that you were thinking about, you were talking about Letty. Oh, Letty. And they did know each other from yeah, the kids true. with Letty. Yeah, yeah, Mia would be the. So the they're sister. all they're all going to be there. They're all going to be there Mia, except though. for Brian. <laughs> Brian no, comes CG. in later. He comes in later. Well, you don't miss any movies. Yeah, you can do all that entire yeah. series before Brian with just them. It's going to be like a Rugrat style Fast and Furious <laughs> when they were like kids. All kind of be in their Barbie <laughs> Barbie cars. And <laughs> they didn't have Barbie cars back then. Really? It was the, it was the metal pedal cars, bro. What would have been what, what year did uh, Fast and Furious come out? Two thousand. Okay, so you figured Dom was probably thirty-five. Ten years. They didn't have power wheels back then. In 1990, they didn't have power wheels. No, it'd be. And I feel like it'd be way before Google, that. Google this up. I had a power wheel. I had a power wheel. At what year? What I year had a power wheel in 1990. Boom. But they're old. They're See? old. They're way older than that, though. Can we look up the year that the power wheel come out on Google, please? While we're yeah, trying to fact check here, real quick. 1984. Boom. Oh, totally damn. had a power wheel back then. By 1990, ha! they were selling over a million. <laughs> Over Dang. a million a year in 1990? Dang. They okay. definitely had a power That's wheel. That's like F-150s. I wonder how much they were. Does America's the most popular car. Power Wheels Jeep. Power Wheels Jeep, is it really? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. I don't know the F-150 it's is. where right? we all started. Isn't that the most popular truck? The F-150? I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Venezuela. Speaking of which, the new, the new F-150 you can get with a diesel, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Wow, All the is... new half-ton trucks you can get with a little baby diesel in them now. That's pretty cool. What size yeah. diesel? I don't even know. Three liter, maybe? Turbo diesel? Three, 2.7 or three liter? Yeah. Every okay. diesel now is a turbo diesel. All right, all right, all right. Without a turbo, they suck. That'd be kind of, that's cool. You ever driven a naturally aspirated diesel? Yeah, yes. a Mercedes. Oh, God, that yeah. was awful. I drove, I drove like an 82 Mercedes, non-turbo diesel. <laughs> like zero Terrible. to 60 is literally like in 60 Minutes. seconds. Yeah, it takes forever. <laughs> it takes forever. You step on the gas, a bunch of smoke comes out the back, and nothing yeah. happens. Yeah, like that's the most really? exciting thing. And like you're not going anywhere. So, so yeah, every turbo from here on out should have it, or every diesel should have a turbo, in my opinion. Well, granted that, I think almost every car nowadays is going to have a turbo now, too. Yeah, although diesel generators don't have turbos. Some do. Some of them do. The big industrial Yeah, guys. but the ones that go in like RVs and stuff do not. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate the time. I got to get running. But if you ever want to have an SR20 event, or I mean... Uh, we do one. SR20 podcast. West Coast Convention. I mean, SR20 podcast. Oh. By all means, let me know. Oh. That I can help out with. We could probably do that. Yeah. For Although they have to be mounted the wrong way, right? That's no, your no, specialty. The SR20 the, is mounted the, the wrong direction. The right way for me. That is not the wrong way. <laughs> It's the right way. But, all, all right, people, peace out. Thanks, Martin. All right, Mike. So we haven't heard from you in a while. What's been going on? I, I think the last time we talked to you was probably in the spring or the early summer. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's been a pretty crazy summer. Um, there's the Formula D season going on, and uh, I guess we did Pikes Peak, and we uh, did Grid Life in Atlanta, and so I've been pretty busy. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, you know, as far as Formula D is gone, how, how did the season end up for you guys? Um, I don't think we were too happy in the way. Um, you know, we felt this year could possibly be our year because uh, the development of the car kind of reached a high point. And I really believe that we have one of the best cars in FD. Um, I think we have the handling r really, really wired and, and the way the car hooks up and goes. And uh, if you know stuff about cars and you kind of look at how our car is, uh, I mean, it, to me, it's obvious to the eye that we got probably maybe the best handling car in FD. And uh, I think we have the best engine package and... You know, dies the king of qualifying and the king of lead runs. And, uh, you know, I, I thought we would do a lot better. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it is we had a little bit of bad luck. And, you know, we had things like we had our first engine failure in three years. Oh, really? Yeah. In Man, the St. Louis round. Uh, you know, like doing the postmortem, it looked like um, the engine was fine and the connecting rod bolts just snapped wow. on, on one cylinder. Okay, that's uh, that's not good. <laughs> uh, but you know everything else on the engine was flawless. But unfortunately, it was a fairly low hour motor, so uh, you know, like a really expensive motor got destroyed, um, which had a lot of service life left on it. And uh, I think we're going to change some of the procedures, you know, around here how we build mo motors too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before we were mostly doing torque with the. Uh, calibrated, really precision um, electronic torque wrench. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to switch from that to um, uh, the angular method of torquing the rod bolts and, and then measuring stretch instead. Okay. Uh, just to get it more accurate. Um, I, I don't think we did anything wrong because we're very careful to like lubricate the threads, lubricate under the head of the bolt and make sure the threads are in perfect shape and you know we use the best ARP bolts and everything uh, and have like a really high quality rod but uh, I guess sometimes this stuff happens and mm -hmm. I don't think any other FD team could say that they've gone three years without an engine problem at all so uh, I think we still have a you know the Moto IQ garage still has a really good record of building motors just that uh, it was pretty disturbing that our postmortem couldn't really find anything wrong, um, and and our countermeasure is such a minor thing. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. It, it still kind of bugs me. Yeah. I mean, that kind of screwed up our momentum at that event, and I think we had some really bad judging calls against us, and uh, I, I kind of don't like to grouse about it. You know, being a judge motorsport like. Uh, um, these kind of things happen mm -hmm. and you know i'd like to say it happens for like all the teams but I, I thought we had a couple of calls and they hurt us badly in the overall points race and i, I guess maybe that happens to everybody but a couple couple times the ones we got i felt were kind of unfair and um oh well yeah well it's always next season right yeah i mean i think potentially potentially if we didn't have that kind of stuff we might we probably would have been in the top five easily yeah. 
but uh, I guess there's next season. But we'll see how the silly season goes and see if we can raise enough money to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, what about Pikes Peak? How did that turn out? I mean, because that's quite quite an undertaking. I think last time we talked to you was right. I think right before that. Yeah, uh, you know, some of the things about that is. I'm really proud of, uh, you know, the Evasive Motorsports team, um, you know, for like, like, uh, I guess a local shop that got started in the tuning business, you know, not hardcore motorsports and to field like a tuner type car, like a Toyota 86 and go head to head with quasi factory entries from uh, Acura, Porsche, McLaren, um, you know, and them bringing out like full on GT cars with a, a lot more resources and, um, you know, famous drivers and all that. And, you know, we, we have our own homegrown car with, uh, you know, somebody that's known as a Formula D driver driving it. And for us to do so well, um, you, you know, it's outstanding. At, at one point, you know, it looked like we we're like fifth overall and uh, second in class. And the car that was leading the class was like a, uh, quasi factory back Porsche with, um, you know, like a lot of resources behind it. And, um, and, and the driver that had like years and years, like, like a decade of experience going up Pike's peak. Um, you know, we had die and this was his rookie year and, uh, for him to be running strongly in second, you know, against a really sophisticated iron. I, I think that's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, but unfortunately, our differential blew up like, mm. uh, you know, like a mile from the from the finish, mm. and we're turning like a really impressive time when that happened, and um, it, it was like one of the biggest disappointments of my career, I think, and uh, you know the effort that everybody put into it, and um, all of our sponsors that backed us, and it was a car that was being developed for like a year, and there was. You know, like it wasn't like a million dollar car or anything, but it was very thoroughly tested. And we had done things like done uh, full full length tests to make sure that, you know, the car could have good thermal management, mm -hmm. uh, good brake um, temperature management. Uh, you, you know, like a Pikes Peak car is very complicated because um, it, it has to be able to take going full out for such a long time and and the and, air is getting thinner yeah so the heat exchangers don't work correctly right um the the brakes never get a break um the brakes don't cool very well because of the thin air um the the driver you know his oxygen goes down and um the the the, tra the course is very bumpy especially at the top yeah um you know, it played havoc with our aerodynamics and stuff. And also, we're in the time attack class that has really severe limitations on the um, aerodynamic surfaces, so mm. we couldn't run much aero. But, um, you know, we're beating cars with huge wings and, and you know, lots of aero. So I'm, I'm really proud of what we did for all of our sponsors and how, the, how we had really good teamwork and... Um, you know, how we beat like a lot of the big guys up there. And I, I think we made a pretty big statement and I, and the car was probably one of the favorite of the favorites of the fans and everything. Uh, it was difficult, but, uh, 
pretty much a good experience. Yeah. Do you guys know if you're going to go back next year? Uh, I guess it depends if we can get sponsors because okay. it's, it's a pretty expensive yeah. effort. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, even like a small effort like us, you know, we have like probably like seven people mm -hmm. and to fly everybody and to lodge them and feed them, ship the car across the country, have the tires. Uh, the testing is really grueling. Like the testing, it just once you get there, it takes almost like all week. Um, you're only allowed to run um, for practice one little segment of the mountain a day. So it's three days of practice per segment. Mm -hmm. and, and then you actually have the event. Um, the, the, the Pikes Peak is a very popular tourist attraction, so they can't close it down for the event. Right, so you're like like butt crack of dawn, right? Like wake up before dark. Uh, actually, we we were uh, up and on the mountain at like 2 a.m. Yeah, just to set up so you can start running at first light, right? Right, and it's so cold that, um, you know, in order to manage the tire temps, getting a uh, pit space near the uh, start-finish line is super critical. So we'd have to get up even extra early just so we can get there because um, you have to whip off the tire warmers, get to the line, and go. Yeah. And if you're in, like, some big line, then the tires, like, lose their temperature so rapidly. And, yeah. Um, tire warmers are everything for Pikes Peak. I mean, even during the summer at the base, I mean, you're probably looking just above freezing at, like, that time of the morning, right? Yeah, and... Like, you know, my job being the suspension guy is I have to be at the end of the course at um, in each day's practice. And, you know, I make minor adjustments, you know, like shock damping and stuff, and then tell the radio the guys down the mountain if we need anything harder. And, you know, I take the tire temps and pressures. And so, you know, my job is I'm in the coldest, most exposed area. Yeah. And, man, it was cold. <laughs> I bet. How, so how does that work, right? So you're able to get a, a practice run in, but it's usually only one run per day, right? Uh, no, about three. Oh, three, really? Okay. Yeah, you just have, you know, we have to be clearing off the mountain by 9 o'clock. Okay. And that's when they open the road to the tourists. So um, you know, we try to, all the cars line up, and they can usually go two or three times. Then okay. That's if nobody crashes or... Uh, create something that blocks the course for a long time. Right. Now, do the conditions change pretty quick during the morning like that, or is it pretty pretty chilly pretty much the whole morning? Uh, it's really cold. Okay. And um, it, it's unusual because I've never been in a situation where the tires are colder at the end of the course than they are at the, the beginning. Yeah, and, the, <laughs> and the, ti the tire pressure just actually drop. And then it's even more harder to figure out because With the elevation yeah as the car climbs the the, the pressure wants to climb but the, the but you the, don't have the air essentially well, well um you know we're running nitrogen mm -hmm. but to try to re minimize that kind of stuff but the ground is so cold the ground's probably like 10 degrees or something so yeah you get to the end of the course and the tires are maybe 50 60 degrees man and, I mean, the Toyo engineer that I was with, uh, he broke his probe trying to get a temperature from the tires. Really? They just rock hard. Yeah, and I quit trying. Man. And, you know, that's part of the challenge, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's got to be pretty grueling. So you got three days of that. What was what was actual race day like? Um, well, race day, in a way, was easier for me because uh i'm just at the fin start finish like with everybody else mm -hmm. so i get food and uh 
be in a warmer pit and, and things like that. But um, some of it is, uh, I think the communications between the officials and all that can be really chaotic because, um, you know, when Carlton Dunn, uh, when he uh, crashed, it was really hard for, um, you know, his team to find out what happened to him. And, uh, you know, that was really tragic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they had told his wife the wrong thing a number of times. They said they had actually told her he was okay. Hmm. Um, and then die when the car broke the differential. They told us many different stories. They said, oh, your car went over the side. Oh, geez. Um, or your car's teetering on the edge, and we're trying to rescue the driver. Huh. Um, and then finally we got a thing saying that, oh, well, your car is in a safe turnout, which t ended up being right. But, uh, you know, we're really scared about what happened to die for probably an hour. Wow. And nobody could give us a straight answer. And, um, you know, this this probably is probably one of the most dangerous events in America. Mm-hmm. Because I, I kind of think it's like America's Isle of Man. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. The course is really unforgiving. You make a mistake. You go into trees, rocks, uh, and toward the, the top there of the course, you make a mistake and you, you fly for thousands of feet. Um, so it's, yeah, not good if you make a mistake. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, the top being so cold... Um, it's kind of like the ground up there is kind of like permafrost. And uh, the, the, so the road changes quite a bit from hour to hour. Like what could be smooth in, in the late afternoon turns into like frost heaves and really bad bumps in the morning. And then uh, huge, like maybe uh, three-inch bumps can appear overnight hmm. and go away by the afternoon. Wow. And it's I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Uh, it changes hour by hour. Wow. And um, that that could throw a whole monkey wrench into your setup and all that. And yeah, especially if you, you know, if you're used to practicing that specific section in the morning when it's colder and then on race day, you're racing in the afternoon when it's warmer, you know, and those bumps aren't there anymore it can make things interesting. Yeah, or conversely, like you're not expecting the bumps to be there and you hit them. Uh, yeah. Like in practice, uh, Dai had driven, you know, up and down like the week prior in, in like a stock car. It's kind of like a tourist. Mm -hmm. And when he went in the morning practice, there was this huge bump that he didn't realize was going to be there. And he hit it in the car and he almost went over the edge. Wow. And yeah, that shook him up really bad. Oh, I bet. Um, and then it caused some damage to our undercar arrow and all that that we had to fix. And, uh, yeah, um, we had to change the ride height, which kind of reduced the effectiveness of our arrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was still really proud of what we did, and it's very difficult. I, I mean, I think some of the, it's not really innovative, but, like, a lot of it uh, was tuning the trash control system and... Um, you know, that really helped us manage the tires a lot better. And, um, yeah, you know, like uh, uh, Calvin, who uh, was on the show before, uh, he, he uh, was kind of instrumental in kind of fine-tuning and tweaking the traction control over the course of the event. And I think that was one of um, the critical things that helped us, um, especially over, like, some of the really sophisticated cars. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure they had pretty sophisticated traction control too, but I think, I think Cal did a good job of dialing that in. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of proud of what we did. I mean, like we had the car with horrible weight distribution, like 60% of the weight on the, on front, the front wheels. Wow. Uh, yet we're able to get something that was really neutral that used all four wheels and, um, the front tire temps, the average between the front and rear was, was less than 10 degrees. Wow. Uh, so it wasn't an understeering pig. Yeah. And it, that was, you know, a lot of testing, a lot of tuning and, um, we we did we did a pretty good job. I, I I'm pretty proud of what we did with the resources we had. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, you know, hopefully you guys can can return next year, and give it another go, and hopefully not have a differential failure. You hear that, Inyo Soil? Uh, we need your help. <laughs> we got plans. Uh, I think we're going to come with a Ford 8.8 inch differential this oh, yeah? time, and okay. uh, uh, want to do some aero refinements in the front. Uh, we did. We had some really innovative aer aero that we're kind of secret about yeah. but there's more than meets the eye i think mm -hmm. and um that's some of the secrets how we got a front heavy car to handle well i think um i guess we're going to run the car at super lap battle oh that'll be cool um you know it's at a pretty big disadvantage because it has to run in unlimited and we don't we have pike's peak arrow not uh unlimited time, time attack. attack arrow yeah but uh, we did all right at Grid Life that one time. I, I think we won an unlimited rear-wheel drive there. Yeah, when you guys came out to Road Atlanta? Yeah, and the car wasn't even as close to being dialed as it is now. Yeah, so, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what what did you guys think of, uh, of Road Atlanta this year? Um, I, I was helping uh, Devin Hoffman dial in her car and, mm -hmm. uh, KW had sent me down there to give her a hand. And, um, yeah, you were sick most of the time, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think Adam Jabay and I saw you like very shortly, but that's about it. Yeah. I was asleep in the chair most of the time. <laughs> I was miserable. You know, I still never got completely well from that either. No. <laughs> yeah. So I still have lingering effects. Man. So, but Everybody has some kind of creeping crud going on right now. Yeah. Um, there's some kind of mean cold virus that takes months to go away, and it seems like half the people I know have it. Well, and wasn't that, what hasn't helped me here in L.A. is the Santa Ana winds have been blowing a bunch of stuff in from the desert that, like, I must be really allergic to because I've been kind of stuffed up lately, too. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh, I have to go and get a CAT scan and uh, I think nose surgery. Oh, really? Yeah, because the doctors say my sinus isn't draining, but I've been putting it off until the end of the racing season. Mm. Um, so hopefully they're going to square all that away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I know it can be pretty miserable to live with day in and day out. But I, you know, the grid life thing went pretty well. Yeah. Like, uh, we're able to get the car about four seconds quicker with just the addition of KW Club Sport coilovers. Okay. Uh, like the kind of thing was uh, KW wanted to show like what an ordinary type of customer could do with their off-the-shelf uh, regular components if it was just adjusted and set up properly. And shoot, four seconds a lap difference. Yeah, that's pretty dang good, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow, what else? What about I, your What about your personal cars? Uh, What's going on with any of your personal cars? Nothing, because no? I've been too busy. Okay. 
Oh, my daughter blew up the STI. Oh, she did? Yeah. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, uh, IAG is going to be building the long block for that. Cause, okay. I mean, we have an engine shop here, but we're so backed up with customer work that we wouldn't be able to get to her motor for months, and yeah. she needs her car. And uh, Were you talking about going to buy her another, another car at some point? Yeah, my wife said that she would kick my ass if I did oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, we, daughter and I was discussing if we could like sneak that pastor somehow, but, but I think we decided not to make her mad. Yeah. It's probably a good plan. I, I think I would have to get rid of a few of the other cars before she let us get another one. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I guess that's the priority, but shoot, personal cars never get done. No, they're always, they're, there's always something to do on them, right? And and around here, it's like uh, I think mine has the lowest priority, so it n- hardly ever gets anything. Yeah. Are you doing anything special for that STI rebuild? Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, IAG's like whole tough block thing. So it's okay. going to be closed deck with yeah. uh, big studs and um, like like pin cases and uh, their CNC ported heads. Okay. Um, so shooting for the same power output? Um, no, it's probably going to make, I, th- I think, about probably 50 horsepower more. Okay. Uh, mostly do the camshafts and the heads, and the rest of it is all, like, durability kind of things. Um, improve the oiling. Uh, reduce the uh, cases flexing so much. Mm. Uh, you know, it's fixing like, all the Subaru problems? Yeah, basically. So it's, it's built for, like, 800 horsepower, so it should be reliable at 450. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like Suru stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other engine was the the stock bottom end was putting out 400 wheel horsepower for a couple of years, and it had over 100,000 miles. So I, I it's not bad. It's figuring it was good to go. At yeah, any for a second. Subaru, that's pretty good. I mean, I mean, generally for a Subaru, like anything more than 330, get, it starts getting sketchy. But yeah. it was hanging in there. And and I was reluctant to take it apart because it was running so good, but it kind of forced itself. So that to, happened happened this summer, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the engine still runs pretty good, but it's just getting a tremendous amount of blow by. Oh, really? So it's puking um, oil all out of the uh, breather, breather and everything. Ah. But but I mean, it still starts fine, idles fine, runs good, but. So it's not like it it failed spectacularly. It just. It's time for a rebuild. Yeah, I think it broke the ring land between maybe the one and two compression rings and, mm. and one cylinder, maybe. But it, it doesn't seem like it's dropping a cylinder. It's just okay. like a lot of blow-by. Okay. Well, so that'll be interesting to get fixed. Yeah. Uh, then that, that car will be actually a really good car. Yeah, I mean, to me, that seems like that 450 horsepower range seems like just the right amount of power. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So it's not too much, not too little. Be a fun little car, and uh, I think she wanted to do track days, but then oh, yeah? I told her that I didn't really want her to until we, you know, went through the motor. Yeah, and now this motor should be plenty strong for her to do track days with. Okay, when's the motor supposed to be back? Um, well, we didn't start yet, but I'm, okay. I'm hoping that we can get that car running again over the winter or something. Yeah, worst case, a couple months. I hope. Okay. Um. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to IAG instead of trying to do it in-house here. 
Just to make sure it gets done. Um, or just because just, you guys are, have so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because our, our our customer engines have priorities, so yeah. and we've been having a lot of those lately. Yeah, that's what it sounded like when we were talking to Martin earlier. Uh, shoot, I don't know what else is going on. Uh, well, I don't think I've said anything yet, but uh, my wife 10. and I are moving. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> that's it, what's going on for me. I, I'm happy for you, even though it's kind of a bummer <laughs> that you're going to be further away. But yeah, I'll but, still be in town, man. So I'll still be I'll still be coming to town occasionally. Um, I guess the other big thing around here is the Evo 10. Yeah, and the CSF Evo 10 that uh, you guys were talking about. Yeah, and we've done some really nice work, uh, designed the arrow, and then Brian Kono, uh, you know, belted. And Brian's really good at taking the concept and, uh, you know, making it uh, making it real hardware. And, you know, he has an eye to make things so they're uh, workable. Like, mm-hmm. you could take them apart easily and... Uh, um, you, you know, a lot of times with this unlimited class arrow, it won't fit on any trailer, so it has to be able to be disassembled um, quickly. And so you use like Zeus fasteners, or yeah, what you guys Zeus use? fasteners, yeah. and okay. kind of like modular construction, yeah. and um, everything's really well braced to the chassis, um, and and it's kind of like a takeoff on you know like what we've done on the uh, evasive car and the spoon car where. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a balance of downforce to drag. And so the a lot of the other successful cars have tremendous uh, downforce, but, um, you know, it's also kind of draggy, and they have to run the engines really hard, and uh, they have engine failures all the time. And the stuff I've been involved in, um, the arrow's, like, really not that draggy, and it's efficient, and the engines don't have to be run so hard. And the cars I've been involved in tend to be really reliable. And, uh, but, you know, we, we're not the fastest, but we can like often, you know, maybe not break records, but win the event. And this one is a little bit more of a develop, you know, I guess a refinement, like it doesn't have the huge frontal area, but, um, it has like a lot of working arrow area. Uh, so I think it should work really well and still not make that much drag. Okay. So is the are you guys doing any testing again before Superlap with um, that thing? We were planning to go testing last week, but then um, we had a failure with the exhaust manifold mm. and the turbo mounting. Uh, we weren't responsible for that part of the car, but um, that's getting straightened out. So unfortunately, we might have to test like the day before Superlap. Okay, and which won't give us much time to you know do any further changes. Um, what are your thoughts on that that 4B11 versus the 4G63? Uh, I think it's not as robust. Yeah. So right now we're making about 630 horsepower, and I'm re- I, I'm reluctant to turn it up any higher than that. Okay. Um, Is it a fully built motor in there? Oh yeah. Okay. It's a 2.2 uh, liter stroke motor. Oh nice. Um, fully fully everything. Okay. Uh, it's about as built as. You can build one of those, and it's dry sumped, and every, everything's done correctly. Uh, it's just that you know it's a four B eleven, and um, you know I think like if we get much past you know the, the low six hundreds, we're reaching the structural limits of the block, mm-hmm. and it starts to become a really expensive development project after that. 
And then we start turning into a typical unlimited class time attack car that's blowing up all the time. Yeah. So You're trying to like just get right up to that limit without going over it, huh? Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping for. And yeah. since you know we only have six thirty, we only have so much drag that we can handle. Right. Um, I guess my big concern is that we may not have good aero balance, and we're not going to be able to test to find that out. Because mm -hmm. I'm trying to run the minimal rear wing possible, and I think we have fairly decent and fairly efficient underbody aero. So hopefully we can get away with a smaller wing, but uh, I, I don't know that. Uh, that's one of my concerns. Uh, I, and I guess the other concern is if the uh, driveline will hold up because the uh, Evo 10 has a weak transfer case and uh, transmission's not that strong. So, um, you know, we had ship trans go over everything, but that that the drivetrain doesn't have much of a good track record. You know, it's not like the CT9As that are, uh, as long as you stay with the five-speed stuff, that are pretty bulletproof. Right. Um, and I was hoping that, you know, like we could go to a dog box and uh, stuff like that. But, uh, the, you know, the owner doesn't want to spend that much at this point. Yeah. Is that just the, the five-speed that's in it right now? The GSR yeah. five-speed? Okay. And I'm, you know, hoping that that doesn't break. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it'll stick together. I mean, we've seen people like Ryan Gates back like a long time ago doing pretty decent things with with those. I don't I don't know the reliability that he was having with his when he was running, but um, seemed to be pretty effective when he was running back in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. But you know, like he was breaking quite a bit too. Was he? I, I think that's why he quit competing. Actually, I okay. think is that he had some pretty expensive blow-ups and yeah, i think just starts adding up man that's a lot of money and then that's why you don't see him right now yeah and he's messing around with porsches and stuff too I'd, I'd love to have that guy on the show eventually i haven't seen him in years yeah so i know i know he's doing some porsche stuff i think he was he was trying to get that factory rs311 off the ground for a while too oh okay which was the like pretty much like a you know, an Evo 10 that he would build to a certain spec and then you could buy it from him. Yeah. Um, which was a cool concept. You know, I think they were using, you know, some pretty high-end dampers and some real nice brakes and, you know, it was, uh, they looked pretty cool to be honest. Okay. So. Well, cool. Well, thanks I, for... I, I, uh, I see our next guest yeah. is in the parking lot <laughs> yeah. and we should probably go say hi. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, th thanks for catching up, Mike. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a gridlight to say hello. Hello.